Wash your hands and keep it clean. You gotta wash your hands and keep it clean. We'll flatten that curve while we quarantine. It feels absurd, but just you wait and see. Cover your cough and if you sneeze, and then you wash your hands and keep it clean. That's right. Wash your hands, everybody. Well, hello and welcome back um, again this week to our special weekly edition of Thrive Subscribe, our COVID-19 practice pearls. Um, Thrive Subscribe has been fortunate to partner with CPSN USA to bring you a Saturday morning podcast, which is focused on community pharmacy practice pearls specific to the coronavirus pandemic. And so each week for as long as needed, we will um, continue to meet on Saturday mornings and summarize the most necessary topics and, and share best practices from around the country, from frontline community pharmacy teams around the country um, with all of you. So this means that we have new episodes um, at each Thursday and then also each Saturday. So today, to put it in perspective, is Saturday, April 11th, and we're about a month into our COVID-19 Practice Pearl series. Um, I know many of us are still feeling like each day brings um, a huge amount of new information and change that really impacts the care you provide to your patients, to your uh, pharmacy teams, and your communities. Um, and so Ashley Branham and Joe Moose um, are here again this week. They are community pharmacy owners from North Carolina um, and just really national leaders in community pharmacy practice transformation. Um, each of them have, have lead roles within CPSN. Um, and they're leading our COVID-19 Practice Pearl episodes to share insights with all of you. And today we're gonna focus on how you can make an impact through community partnerships and really how to start thinking about how COVID impacts your practice and your business over the long-term. Part of this discussion will include some conversation with Dr. Todd Rowland, who we're fortunate to have here uh, with us today. Dr. Rowland is the Chief Medical Officer at VitalFlow, and he also serves as a leading consultant for HealthLink, which is a nonprofit serving medical providers and institutions and really assists with health information technology adoption um, to result in improved healthcare outcomes. So um, Joe and Ashley, just thank you so much for being here again today and, and taking the time to talk with our listeners. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm glad to be here. It's been a, been a crazy week, as uh, at least it has been here in North Carolina. I'm sure it's been the same across the country. So those of you who are you those of you who are on live now remember to use the questions uh section to to type in your comments and give us your your feedback and tell us your best practices and what you're doing. Again, this this whole uh podcast series is about uh learning from you guys what you're doing, the innovators out there that are on the front lines and sharing that. So funnel us your ideas uh, throughout this podcast. It's like I say, it's been a long week. I feel like we're here on April the eighty seventh. It's it's just been going on. So those of you who are born in the year of two thousand probably feel like you're you're thirty six years old now. It just seems to keep dragging on and on with no end. So um we're excited to have uh, my co-host uh, Ashley uh, Branham, and, and excited to have Dr. Rowland on with us today. I've known Dr. Rowland for a, a number of years, and we worked on a number of projects. And he is 
he is very well versed on on CPSN and and what we do that's different than uh, all the other pharmacies across America and and what we're trying to accomplish. So, uh, Ashley. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back with you again. I know Suzanne mentioned it's we're now um, getting onto our fourth um, podcast. Um, something that we thought maybe. Um, a short term is um, turning into um, uh, many weeks ahead of us as we start to unite community pharmacists um, over this podcast to help provide pearls and um, guidance through this pandemic. And, and uh, I'm glad to help kind of facilitate that um, ability to unite those best practice pearls. I think the as the weather's getting warmer, at least here in North Carolina, um, the masks that we're wearing in the pharmacies are growing more and more suffocating. And um, and still, despite many of the um, warnings, um, uh, many of our customers are not heeding those warnings and are still coming out every day and uh, multiple times sometimes to our, our community pharmacies. I, I imagine you're seeing some of that, too. So. Um, I think this is causing our staff to realize that the, the initial perceived short-term workflow modifications are now becoming more um, standard for our foreseeable future. This will be our, our workflows for the next couple of months, it seems. Um, and so um, this is causing us to redirect our focus on what it takes to be more relevant in the community, and especially as we have limited no foot traffic or, or lim limited foot traffic into our community pharmacy um, so today, as Jay mentioned, um, and, and working with um, Dr. Rowland um, today as well, we're going to talk to you about um, you know opportunities for community pharmacies outside of our walls. Um, what is what are the opportunities that are out there to partner with local providers, with um, our um, our community resources, um, others within uh, more um, of our civil um, infrastructure. Where can we be a, a um, helping hand within the community as, as there's more and more need? Um, so we've got some pearls prepared to share with you. And then, of course, um, getting Dr. Rowland's perspective will be really key as we um, kind of learn about some provider needs um, within the community as well. Yep, absolutely, um, Ashley. So, you know, I think a couple of the good things I've heard, and again, focusing on this idea of, of you know, I think the first few episodes of this podcast, we talked about keeping ourselves safe in the pharmacy and workflows uh, that we've had to change and best practice workflows to, to take care of our employees and take care of our patients and and that type of thing. So we kind of want to move outside the walls of the pharmacy now and some, uh, give you some things that we're, we're hearing other folks that are doing uh, outside of the, the pharmacy wall. So like one thing that comes to mind that is really basic, but but folks are getting set up with with VPNs of virtual private networks and, and those type things to ensure that they've got remote access to their pharmacy management system so they can they can uh, access it from home or or an alternative site if if for reasons they need to and it's you know it's wise to get that type of connectivity to be able to forward telephones and and, and all of those type things uh, before you actually have to do it so don't wait till till the moment that something happens you know have that as sort of part of your emergency plan Ashley or, or you know what are some things that you're doing or who are some folks that that you've heard others collaborating with in your area 
um, outside of outside of the actual pharmacy itself. So there's some really, I think, um, neat things that are starting to circulate from community pharmacy owners. We've seen um, um, a number of, of community pharmacies step up and say that they're supplying a lot of um, um, you know, police departments or fire departments with the hand sanitizer. Um, some are even providing um, hand sanitizer to um, um, patients as well as staff within nursing homes. We also have um, some patients getting care packages directly from the community pharmacy when delivering. If you can remember, we've got a number of um, shut-in patients that are just kind of, um, you know, they don't, they have limited transportation or no ways to get out. And, and with the shutdown, um, there's no real good ways um, for these patients to get around. So they're running out of very basic resources. So I know some pharmacies are developing some care packages that combine with toilet paper and hand sanitizer or paper towels, almost like just a, a mini care package to give some of their um, their patients that are shut in or, or have limited uh, transportation means. And Joe, I know yeah. you, you heard about um, a local car dealership partnering with a community pharmacy. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a great example. And just on, on the care packages thing is, so I, I know like at our pharmacies, we've got probably a half a dozen items that, that when we can get them in stock that we're asking when pe folks call and we're delivering to them or doing curbside to them, and we say, hey, you know, are you, how are you doing with, with hand sanitizer? How are you doing with, with toilet paper if we can get it? Or how are you doing with your aspirin a day? Just to make sure, reminding them of these things that they may be, taken or maybe routine that they may not have historically got from your pharmacy, but they don't really have a way of getting out and getting it now because their their normal source of it is either closed or their ability to get to it's been impeded. So just uh, like Ashley said with the care packages, I know we had a pharmacy that, that uh, uh, had to step up their delivery considerably, and they actually talked with the car dealership in, in their area, and this car dealership um, work with them to get uh, a free delivery car because they had all these fleet vehicles that were just sitting on their lot that were not being used that would that would normally be out on um, being used with with the company for their sales staff so uh the car dealership donated the the fleet cars uh to the pharmacy for three months and they also did a promotional wrap of the car and they wrapped the car with the with the car dealership's logo on it and the pharmacy's logo on it, and, and then a statement about how they're, you know, they're trying to help the community or bringing this to the community. So they both got a little free press out of it. The car dealership got some free press out of it, and they're both doing good to, to make sure that the people in the community have access. Um, so I, I think that that was a, a really a, a really big step and a great collaboration um, to, to solve for, for a problem out there. One idea that you could even start today um, that we read about um, is, is even just disease state focus, thinking about um, maybe your um, type 1 or, or even um, insulin-dependent type 2 um, patients that have diabetes. Um, as you know, the supply of alcohol is, is very limited, and so um, being able to secure alcohol wipes or, or alcohol and, and make sure that you're um, you know, coupling that with um, the patients that are in most need of those resources and proactively reaching out to them to make sure that they have those supplies is, is um, 
something you could even start today if you haven't already, just to enhance customer service and an opportunity to kind of um, really improve the care that you're providing those patients by making sure that they're priority in, in receiving those supplies. Absolutely. Well, without uh, holding up any longer, let's let's jump in and, and uh, get Dr. Rowland's perspective on this. Like I say, I, I've known Dr. Rowland for a number of years, and he, I think, is is really familiar with with what uh, CPSN is about and just you know a lot of things these pharmacies are doing. And uh, I'm going to let him sort of tell what he does and his perspective uh, of things. So, uh, Dr. Rowland, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here, and it's really been interesting listening to the solutions that the community pharmacists are coming up with. Um, in addition to being the chief medical officer for Vital Flow Health, which is a respiratory health company, kind of a big deal these days, I'm a physical medicine rehab specialist, and I really work with the highest risk populations, both in skilled nursing rehab and hospital facilities. And I've been to probably at least 10 different facilities since the beginning of this in January 2020. So it's a real honor to be speaking with you guys today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, jumping on today, Todd. So, so tell us what you're seeing out there. Well, what have you seen over the past week or a couple of weeks as a frontline provider uh, in the hospital setting in the skilled facility setting? Yeah, so it's it's been very interesting. Um, one of the things that's happening in the rehabilitation areas, both in skilled nursing and rehab, is all the patients really and the families, they want to go home early. So ordinarily, we'd have them, you know, maybe for up to 21 days, and they really would like to get out, you know, by 10 to 14 days. And that puts a lot of pressure on the care plan that they have. And, you know, ordinarily at the time of discharge, we're asking them what their home-based pharmacy is. And, you know, that's one of those things that makes me wonder, well, what, does, what services does that home-based pharmacy provide? Because people are leaving in a more fragile state than they ordinarily would. And these are really, you know, our, our fragile, debilitated, older Medicare patients, as well as people that have had spinal cord injuries that are new and brain injuries. So they're, they're pretty high-risk populations that need as much care coordination as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure you are seeing those, and it just uh, I, I think it it uh, reinforces the need for the community pharmacy to help reinforce kind of the assurance to the families and those patients that you're here for them, because I'm sure they're going home, you know, feeling probably a, a little more cautious than they would under under normal settings. Yeah, and there's really you know, that potential for more breakdown in communication than we all have already on the transitions because the family members are not present and we're really having to limit the exposure. We're really just bringing in the families for the last day of training and otherwise they're on the phone or, or doing, you know, some kind of video conferencing, but it's just really, you know, creating more risk in that situation where uh, the families are probably not quite as comfortable bringing people home as they ordinarily would be. Dr. Rowland, what advice would you have for um, the community pharmacists that are listening today around um, making sure that transition of care from the hospital to um, 
um, the nursing home or to home or into the care of their family goes much more smoothly in this setting of COVID-19 and, and um, you know, from the lens of what, what can a community pharmacist do to, to really make sure that um, they aid in, in helpful um, transition for that, for that patient? Yeah, I think, you know, the things that you guys are already doing are wonderful. You know, just the whole care management wraparound services, the medication reconciliation. I think the biggest problem people have is we just have, there's a limited awareness of what community pharmacies are doing and can do. So one of the things that I would think about for you as a group is it might be important for you to quantify just how many fragile high-risk patients that you're taking care of and maybe even quantify the number of patients that you're seeing are transitioning from inpatient care or skilled nursing home care to back into your pharmacy. And that's a way of kind of painting this picture of, of how many of these fragile people you're taking care of already today. And then what could be, you know, that you can make an impact on those lives. So that's something I, I think that the network has a real opportunity with. I know that there's a, um, a number of the listeners today that have um, adherence program, adherence and delivery programs, and and they're stepping inside the patient's home, likely right around um, you know, discharge time, and as they're as they're getting home or um, um, starting to transition. And I just I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on is there anything that their delivery drivers should be coached on to look out for when they're dropping those medicines off or and interacting with the family, mm -hmm. any coaching advice you might have from your perspective on that? Yeah, I think just to build upon what you guys were saying is how many times people are not taking the proper precautions. You know, something that I think as providers we're seeing is pretty basic. You know, we've all thought about infection control. And now we're really careful. Um, so I think, you know, I always ask every one of my patients, um, if we're not measuring the temperature, do they feel like they have a temperature and do they have they had a change in breathing? So those are the two questions you always want to ask people. And then if there's an opportunity to talk about how to socially distance within the home, um, one of the things that I'm finding is that I'm trying to socially distance within my home because I'm a fairly likely person to bring in the COVID virus to my family. So uh, changing sleeping arrangements, washing clothes as you come into the house, um, you know, how to how to help people in the family find the right kind of, uh, you know, mask to wear that they're comfortable with uh, because the, the best one might not be the most comfortable, so to speak, because uh, a lot of us are getting pretty fatigued at wearing masks. And so some of this has to do with comfort, I think. So I think what you most of, yeah, yeah, very much. I, I was going to say most of the the folks on this call or listening to this podcast do do a when they're synchronizing their medications, they have a pharmacist or a technician who's calling these patients and and talking to them before they ever go to the home. Do you think those are are two questions we should build in that phone call? Do you do you think you have a temperature? Or um, feel like you do you feel like you have a temperature? Or have a temperature. And do you have any difficulty or newer difficulty breathing? Exactly. And I think those are really important. The other question is if someone's on home oxygen, I like to ask them, 
get see if they know what their usual number of liters are, and if those if that's different because that's a pretty good parameter. If someone's usually on two liters and now they're on three liters at home, just to kind of see what their level of alertness and awareness is about that. Great advice. A great point. I I, I was uh, what you said was resonating really clearly. As uh, yesterday, I was taking some deliveries after work, and I pulled up to a home where. It, um, it, what it seemed like an entire neighborhood, but it was probably about eight or 10 adults gathered in a circle, hanging out in the yard together while their children were playing basketball at the, um, you know, on the, the local basketball court. And I was thinking there's no mask, there's no preventative measures. There's, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of education that needs to be done in our communities and somehow they're missing it. And so that reinforcement I think is a really important point. And, and I, I suspected that was the case by seeing the lack of masks and just general precautions used to customers within the pharmacy. But then I saw that in the communities and I thought, oh, no one's, no one's heeding the warning or, or I guess not no one, but some there's limited folks that are heeding that warning. And that's, it's really important. So um, that's really helpful advice. And, yeah. And I think this is such a different situation because of the respiratory spread, you know, just the idea but just by simply talking to somebody, you could actually spread it and you don't even think you have it. That's very hard for people to kind of picture in their brain, and including physicians. So I am noticing in the medical staff lounge today at Duke that everybody was socially distancing and everyone's wearing their mask except when they're eating. And so I'm seeing some behavior change amongst the physician community kind of behind the scenes as well. So we're all getting a little bit more nervous. Yeah, I was talking with a group of, of family medicine docs this morning, that, and they were like, you know, we, we've never really, yeah, we're physicians. We know about cleanliness. We know about germ spread, but we've never had to go under infectious disease protocols other than when we were, you know, in med school and infectious disease rotations on it. So uh, I, I think it's a, it's a different world, um, even even in the physician or the the type space where people are trying to be clean about what they do it's a different time and different day so uh i don't think yeah, we can and, stress that enough and i i think i can't tell you how important your role is for those patients leaving the hospital leaving nursing homes and i'm i'm going to suspect that the nursing home patients are probably even more fragile and uh you know maybe even more uncertain about where they are, you know, just because there's such a prevalence of dementia, you know, in those patients. Um, and they're, you know, they're high fall risks. And, you know, the family is, you know, pretty stretched when family members are getting sick too. So anything that you can do to simplify what medications that they're supposed to be taking and if there's any respiratory aspect to those things and how, how to better articulate or how to how to better execute that, you know, in the home would be great. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask you that that you may have just answered, but I was going to ask you, um, you know, as a physician who deals with medically complex and, and fragile type patients, what do you wish that all community pharmacists out there were doing related to the to COVID? Well, for sure, I wish everybody would be like you guys because a lot of the pharmacies people go to 
I, I think it's well intentioned, but they're kind of kind of picking up the medications, um, and they're maybe not getting a lot more counseling than that. Um, excuse me, there's a little background noise. I hope that's not interfering. Um, so I, I wish there were more of the community pharmacies. Well, we we wish the same, and, and that's part of this podcast is to hope spread the word of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis and what we're doing during during this COVID epidemic. Yeah, and I would say futuristically, and maybe it's not too far in the future, I've seen a tremendous adoption of telemedicine. So I've seen everybody's wanting, the providers are wanting to protect themselves and their patients. So the uptake of telemedicine and the loosening of the regulatory barriers by CMS and Medicare and other payers has been dramatic. So we're we're actually doing telemedicine now into our nursing homes. And we have a few of the nursing homes, unfortunately, that have become COVID hotspots. And it's really the only way we can really, we can't really go in those easily now because they're really trying to reduce providers. Um, so there's going to be more and more of that needed. It'd be really cool if you guys can participate in some kind of remote care, remote monitoring going forward. Um, that, that's one of the visions that I have, uh, you know, for what we can be doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think now is the time to do it. But but even aside from COVID and all, I think there, there are a ton of opportunities around that. So, you know, things like uh, ensuring that your patients have blood pressure cuffs and understand how to use them or blood glucose monitors and understand how they to use them. So when when the uh, physician is doing the telemedicine, you know, they've got got a uh, metrics that they can report back to the physician or here here or what my readings were. So they're not uh, they don't have to go into the office to get blood pressure. They don't have to go to the local supermarket and stick their arm or, or pharmacy and stick their arm in that machine that's commonly used by everybody in the county to, to get blood pressure readings on it. So, that, you know, I think uh, as pharmacists, we can, you know, we can make sure that, that we're that we're asking our patients with hypertension, do you have a way to monitor our blood pressure? Asking our patients with, with, um, uh, you know, diabetes, do they have do they have meters and supplies and those type things? We'll go a well, long way with, with helping during these telemedicine visits. It could be as simple as having a thermometer, because you guys know it's these days it's pretty hard hard to get a hold of a thermometer. <laughs> you know, who would have Are thought you? it'd be hard? To Absolutely. <laughs> It is very hard. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ordered one from Amazon that hasn't come, and my my wife somehow found one at a pharmacy somewhere. But um, so those care packages could be a way to kind of do those things too. And um, you know, I really I love how you you're working on the basics, and we got to get the basics right first before we do something that's real advanced. So as you're seeing um, some of these medically complex patients discharged, are they being, are you seeing a trend of being discharged with um, any PPE or any supplies like blood glucose monitors, um, blood pressure, you know, as we think about allocating resources to, um, from the pharmacy perspective, are they leaving the facility with anything or should we start really thinking about how we can get those items to them? You know, it, that's really an interesting question because 
what we're doing in rehab is all the providers were wearing masks. And if, unless someone is on droplet precautions, then they, they can be out in the therapy gym and they're the ones who don't have the mask on for the most part. So that whole transition, there's such a shortage of protective equipment. We're often walking in each day and being given one mask for the day. So as providers, we're kind of protecting our masks for ourselves. And then when people transition to home, we really aren't giving them protective equipment. And so that's, that is something, if you can give them, you know, a, a, a comfortable mask to wear, you know, one of the things having the ones that have the little elastic ear lips does work better than the tiebacks, if you know what I mean. We all like the ones that have the elastic, you know, that are a little easier to kind of move up and down your face. And we're all discovering what kind of masks we like and don't like. Um, or even as simple as, you know, saying, here's how you use a bandana um, or whatever you have around your house uh, if, if you don't have a mask. Yeah, we had a we had one pharmacy that, that had commented that they gave uh, with their when they delivered prescriptions, they gave a sheet that talked about that they should be wearing protective uh, mask. And if they did not have a mask or access to a mask to, to use a bandana, and I think it gave instructions on how to tie it on or, or the best type of, of face mask above. And it gave examples of different types of things. So they were, you know, they were actively promoting for those folks in the home to, to, to use mask on it. And I thought that was a, that was a great, a great pearl to be um, sharing with folks. But you're kind of making me think about some aspects of where we're probably not anticipating what people are going home to, you know. So, we're, you know, we're, you know, when we're at the hospital, we just aren't really envisioning the home setting quite as much as we should be. So I've got some ideas just from listening to both of you today about what we could change and what we're doing. Likewise here as well. well thank, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So brainstorm yeah, together absolutely maybe we can go implement in both settings yep i think we could go on all day about this and we want to be respectful for everybody's everybody's time so i, I thank you dr roland today um I, I want to personally thank you for all you've done uh, to to help cpsn and, and help champion for uh, what these pharmacies are trying to do to take care of the folks in their community um on it so that that's uh that's greatly appreciated I want to leave you maybe with the uh, one or two more pearls before we we sign off for the day I, I had some good feedback coming in and and one is there's a product in, and i think this is a branded name and we're not promoting any brands but um it, it was called permasafe and i think that this was actually used in that uh, car dealership that gave the 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 cars to the or lease the cars to the pharmacy is uh, that they create this it's a it's a treatment that's done to a car and I think you could take any of your delivery vehicles to a, a dealer that does this type of stuff and they have a, a bacteria antibacterial antivirus killing treatment they they do for the interior of the car and it has a, a lasting effect supposedly I, I can't speak to the to the uh, efficacy of that but it is a, a process that is supposed to to have a long-term bacteria killing effect of, of the automobiles especially if your cars are like ours where you have different folks driving them and getting in and out of them um, and also we have a pharmacy telling us that they have uh, 
they've partnered, their delivery drivers have partnered with the local food pantry, and they're, uh, they're delivering food packets to, to homes that need to, to help reduce the, the because the volunteers for the, the Meals on Wheels or whoever that entity was that was doing it have decreased because most of those were, were older individuals who were volunteers that didn't want to get out and expose themselves. So they're having trouble getting, getting food out to individuals and they're, they're utilizing that and combining with the pharmacy to help, help distribute that. So I think those are two, two good things that uh, we can be thinking about. Ashley, you want to take us home? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think I'll just close on um, the idea that, you know, if you're, if you're getting tired, just keep going day by day. I know that um, um, we've got, we've got a long road ahead of us. And um, hopefully with the ideas that uh, Dr. Rowland shared with us today, you have an idea of how to um, kind of begin brainstorming on um, how to really tackle our transition of care patients in a, in a, in a more strategic way as we move forward. And um, also if you identify opportunities within your community, um, take, take the opportunity to, to share, um, to innovate, and to, to be kind of a leader within your community and get your community pharmacy recognized for stepping up to the plate when, when you're needed. So um, at that, I think we'll close for today, and we look forward to talking with you next week. So Joe and Ashley, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk yeah. with our listeners today. And, and um, Dr. Roland, you know, you as well, we, we appreciate your time away from your, your patients. Um, so to all of our Thrive Subscribe podcast listeners, um, we hope you'll continue to join us in um, every Thursday for our Thrive on Thursdays and each Saturday for as long as we need it. We'll continue on with Joe and Ashley here for our COVID-19 practice pearls. So everyone stay safe, safe, um, well, and uh, we'll, we'll meet again next week. Thanks for all you do. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice. 